0: Well, Jacob, I have a question for you. All right. How do you know when you or your practices have actually changed the culture of the environment in which you work? How do you know that it's been changed for the positive?
1: How do you know? Mm, how do I know what I'm doing has changed the culture for a positive? I think that I know this. Based off of how much students are smiling, are, are they smiling in my room when they're working, and not just like smiling because they're they're having a blast or whatever, but smiling because they're really enjoying what we're doing, which means if they're working and they're smiling and they're happy and they're enjoying their lives and they're picking up books and they're trying books and they're talking about books and they're talking about their writing and writing a lot and sharing what they're writing and excited. I think that's the positive culture uh, that I'm shooting for. And I think it changes day to day, in all honesty. <laughs> I think, I think uh, or maybe week to week. I don't know. It just kind of depends. Seventh grade is... Um, an interesting time to talk to kids about reading and writing. And some days, uh, they are very high energy and some days they're not. And then you have, uh, a variety of things going on, but I I think in general, it's, it's, are they smiling for the right reasons? Are they enjoying what we're doing? Are they enjoying the work and are they interactive? I think that's, that's my definition and, uh, that's my answer. I'm going to pin it to the wall.
0: You're going to pin it to the wall. Well, with that, we'll go ahead and begin. Welcome to Craft and Draft with Jacob Chastain and Pam Ochoa. And today we're going to be talking about maybe (laughs) culture and uh, how workshop and what we do. Changes not just our classroom culture, but the culture of an entire school.
1: Our minds are on uh, Thanksgiving and everything else that's going Mm -hmm. on right now, so that's part of the problem.
0: Well, you know, today I was making all these pies, right? Mm -hmm. And going back to tying my pie making to what you just said, um, the culture just changed. My apple pie culture attitude was great. My pumpkin pie was even better. I get to pecan pie and it just it just ended. It ended. The sugar started gelling up. It got hard. I might as well I had to throw it all out. So I think you're right. just like my pie making that it does happen from day to day or or week to week as far as like in the classroom. But I think sometimes though, it might that's more of like the weather. You know, the weather changes day by day, but overall you have a climate. Mm. you know and mm-hmm. you can and climates change but but they actually stay the same in a region i mean they're predictable but the weather's not predictable yeah
1: you what
0: know what do you think I, about that analogy
1: i think that's a good one because it because that is true like i think i have a general positive culture to reading and writing in my classroom and just a positive learning culture um but then you know the weather changes and kids might walk in one day and uh, like, for instance, if it's game day, for all my athletics um, students, they are very – they're far more talkative and angsty than if we're not uh, – if we're, if it's not a game day. But that doesn't affect the classroom culture because the classroom culture can still be positive. We still have all these positive reactions. But, yeah, that's a, that's a good way to put it, and it's a good way to think about it like that because it's like – Don't get dragged down by bad weather. You know, some days you got bad weather and that's
0: okay. (laughs) (laughs) That's true. Well, you know, I have had a few students that, because of their prior experiences, et cetera, you know, they won't give, they walk in. You know, that happens a lot if it's like a a new student coming from another school and Mm -hmm. they're not used to the way we do things and they walk in. Sometimes they kind of suck the air out of the room. Sometimes you got to kind of watch those because you can. Well, you could really I think mess up the, the classroom if you let it. you got to figure out a way to to circumnavigate that that particular situation. I've got a few right now that are struggling I think you know in their home lives a little bit I th- and with the holidays coming up, I, I've noticed that there's a few of them that are like, I don't want to go home and um, and I can see and you can just kind of tell it kind of changes. Mm-hmm. Their, their ways have changed a bit.
1: Uh, we've been doing these tutorials for students to try to make up some, uh, some possible gaps or just kids that are, are struggling a little bit, you know, academically. And, uh, the kids that I've had, I've had a lot of them, there's, there's a few of them that, you know, we do the tutorials from like four thirty to five, uh, every day and then, will leave. And a lot of them either walk home or something like that, but some of them literally like, I'll, cause I'll stay afterwards for a little bit. And then, so I'll leave work at about, I don't know, 515, 530, sometimes six o'clock, depending on how well I managed my time in the meantime. And, um, so like sometimes I'll leave around like five forty five or six and I will see these students just kind of hanging out at the front of the school still. And so like the next day, like, when I was like, hey, you were here for a long time. I was like, oh, you saw me? I was like, yeah, I was going home. But you were sitting up here and like, yeah. They're like, I could have walked home, but I just didn't want to go home. And I was like, that's such a huge sign of a variety of things. You know, it's not like they're necessarily in turmoil or something like that. But the fact that so many of these kids would rather be at school or hang out and be in the class or something like that, like, that's a, it's a, it's a sign of, of a variety of things. But I think it's... Um, it speaks volumes to kind of the, the power of, of schools and 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 why everyone, like maybe we should kind of guard ourselves when we're talking about how excited teachers are for the holiday um, to like be off because <laughs> everyone has, uh, you know, you shouldn't feel guilty about wanting time off. But it's also you should be mindful of the fact that sometimes people don't go home to what you go home to.
0: Well, that's true. That's true. I think I've, I've got one student in particular um, that that I that I have in my mind. And that is, you could tell that, that, that you know, they get more quiet. Um, not really, you know, so trying to just make a point to go talk to that student and, you know, not necessarily ask them what's going on. I, I had done that earlier, so I already kind of knew there was an issue. But so instead, just kind of talk about, hey, what do you want to write about today? You know, what kind of reading are you going to be doing? You know, and kind of give them some tools they can use, especially with the reading. Uh, maybe make sure they have a book before they go home. Things like that, that might could help them. Um, and I think, you know, that that was helpful. Uh, just talking to him about the the book that he selected, making sure that they went down to the library and made sure he had a book that he was interested in and maybe talk about some things that he could be doing uh, in his spare time.
1: We had a, a half day right before Thanksgiving and we, you know, it was a day our principal gave us, it was English's turn to where the admin took our class for a day because they each period only lasted about 20 minutes. So oh. they took all the English classes, just went to the auditorium and worked on whatever. Um, and during my time, Uh, at least once I went into the auditorium to kind of talk to my students because I, if I'm there, I have to talk to, I can't like ignore them all day. I can't just not in my genetic makeup. So like I went in there and I was talking to them and we were just having conversations and talking about whatever they wanted to talk about. And it was so funny because a lot of them were like, Chastain, I need a book before break. I need a book for break. So like the last hour of their day, I was just making sure like all these kids had their books, either that they left in my room or there was a few that they wanted something just new that they mm-hmm. hadn't because they had just finished a book or something like that, um, which is funny. So I kind of did the same thing. But I, I've also what's funny is today I got sent like three different pieces that kids have just been writing over break. Oh, um, wow. They just sent it through canvas, which I, I, I'm always like i feel I feel spoiled because they the fact that they write so much, but that they want to do that like that I think that's when you when you're talking about culture, it's like do your kids want to do what you're doing in school outside of school? like I think that's a really good sign that a culture is is going well and now this you know for for science and math teachers and and history teachers this might be a little different for them, but luckily, we're just talking to literacy teachers here and English teachers so <laughs> but I, I think in the in the English classroom you know if kids are going home and reading and writing at least a little bit or maybe they're even thinking about it like I think that's a sign of 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 the culture that we breed because it becomes something more than just academics i i, I don't think that's easy to do either
0: no I don't think so but um I do think that that through reading and writing that's a great way to start and even if you're in another subject, which, you know, I've taught a few of those other subjects. But even then, through reading and writing, having them uh, explore, like, let's say, history, things like that. Having them take pictures of things that they think are interesting over the holiday. Uh, try to find, I think Nancy Atwell in her book, um, uh, Lessons That Change Writers. She, she had like a, a, a notebook with a book that did that. And she had one where, uh, where poetry hides. And so she would have kids go and do like scavenger hunts in their own home and look for places where poetry hides and the little crevices, you know, where there's the ants that are, you know, that happen to be in the corner of the kitchen or something, or maybe even outside or just any kind of thing um, that one shoe you can't find. Uh anyway, places where, you know, where poetry hides and to kind of look for that. So maybe giving them some things like that can be very helpful. And in social studies, looking for things that, that, you know, are things that you've been studying, especially in geography. You could take pictures of place and things like that and then. And then write about them. I did have a student um, email me the other day. She said that she published one of her little books she started last year. She's an eighth grader. And she's homeschool- She's not homeschooling, but she's she chose to do online. But she said that she had uh, published one of her books uh, on Amazon or whatever. So she talked about how last year really helped her want to write. And she didn't think that she would get through it, but because... Um, I encouraged her. So thinking about somebody, you know, when it, you take it beyond changing the culture in their own lives, beyond the school is a big deal too, isn't it?
1: Yeah. So that's kind of cool. I'm curious at how you, how how you went about doing this this year, because what I've heard uh, you know, like I've said it multiple times on the podcast already, but you know, I'm in a l- little bit of a different situation because I looped up on my kids, so I knew the majority of them. Um, but a lot of teachers have told me, and some that I work with, that like the whole mask wearing has really hurt the, how they connect <laughs> with students because it's like it, it took longer to know their names because you're only seeing like half their face. You lose like. Like, some kids, like, just aren't – they don't have very expressive eyes, so you don't get a lot of feedback when you're talking to them necessarily. And a lot of teachers were like, man, it took me so long to, to kind of build relationships with students this year. Was that the same with you?
0: I don't, I don't think this time it was. I think it has changed um, – I think we've struggled on the reading side of it just a little bit, and that's just because of – um, the libraries and all of that, trying to figure out the book situation. That's all different, uh, a little bit, but I go ahead and we just corn. Quarant- I figured out a way to quarantine the books in my classroom. So they pick one and we do stuff like that. But at first, that was kind of slow. As far as like me getting to know the kids, I don't feel like it's, I, I think a lot of it is how we respond to them. I think the mask wearing has changed us. Therefore, it might change the kid the way you react to the kids um but for the most part i've been able to i just go around and i talk to the kids just like i always have in the past i shook their hands i'm not doing that now obviously but um but i still meet them at the door hey what's happening you know talking to them i think that's where it all begins and then um I will tell you, it's kind of weird when they do accidentally, like they'll pull down their mask or something once in a while, like to take a drink of water, and they look totally different. <laughs> You're like, "Oh, that's weird. That's not how I thought you'd look." That's what they say. To <laughs> I don't me. tell them that. That's what my, my mind. Do you what?
1: That's what they say to me. I'll take my mask off just for like a second to take a drink of water, like in the corner of the room or whatever, and they're uh-huh. like, "Oh
0: my God, that's what you look like." Uh, yeah. So, so <clears> that part's a little bit different, but no, I mean, I, I just, um, I think. I think because we started with writing, and uh, and we just had to and we did some icebreakers with writing and and uh, you know, trying to find like sentences of different things. you know I use those trigger words, so then we would kind of share, and I would share mine, and I didn't make them share. If they wanted to, they could. And I think that really I let them share at their table. And I think that really helped a lot with with that. Yeah. Celebrating their thoughts is really well,
1: important. And I think the that writing in general, especially if you're conferring with your writers, like there is I learn so much about my students all the time and it makes me it, it builds those relationships because every conference isn't just straight up talking about their writing. Sometimes it leads to talking about them or at least to talking about what they're interested in or it spawns a conversation with someone else and then you kind of slowly build these little communities where we all kind of know about each other. Like I share stories about myself all the time because a kid will write something and I'll like have a mental connection to it. I'm like, Hey, you want to hear a funny story? And then all of a sudden I have a story time for, you know, a good two or three minutes at the table and you get five kids listening and we all interact. And so th- there's that, that builds that I think is, uh, cannot be understated. But I, I think it's kind of go back to how, you know, you kind of went through it through writing. I think that is the, I think that's where you and I um, really agree in how we approach English, which is we approach it almost entirely in a way that it, it infuses every aspect of kind of what we do. Like there was a time in day when like I used to start school year off, you know, it would be like five days of no content, just get to know you games and all this other stuff. And then as I got better uh, at, at, just teaching reading and writing that stuff, we would do get to know you's and we would do kind of fun stuff like that, but it was infused with reading and writing. It Mm -hmm. wasn't that the reading and writing didn't take a back seat to get to know you. It was, no, we're doing this, but we're going to do it through writing and it might be a quick ride. It might be something like that, but it was always there because, you know, I, I don't know who said this, but it's like, you know, if whatever you want kids doing for the rest of the year, do it on day one. And that's right. And my whole opinion was, well, I want them to read and write, so i better have them read and write something on day one. And I think that's, right. I think that 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 well, that what that does is that it starts building that culture. Because when we think about culture, we're thinking about just feeling good, and I even kind of alluded to that in my first answer. But I think culture, what we're talking about is a is a, almost like a respect for the reading and writing process and, and building a community of people who respect that. And I think the best way to do that is to literally infuse it into everything. Because if reading and writing is something you do every day, it doesn't become an assignment anymore. It's just what we do.
0: Right. No, I agree. And I, and that's one of my philosophies is always begin with whatever you're going to teach or do. So if I was teaching math, because what we'd be doing on that first day. Even if it was just a little number sense, or if I was doing social studies, I'd be asking them a little bit about you know their own history. Uh, I would always start with what they know. And the one thing that students know the best is themselves. So if you start with that, then you get to know them. And I think that's that's part of it. I kind of started with uh, some trigger words, but it would be more like, um, I think I did balloons. And so then they would talk about you know balloons and when they got a balloon for their birthday or had one talk about riding in a hot air balloon and you know things like that. And so when you I think when last year I started with clouds, you know people look up in clouds and they talked about shape. And one of the best um, pieces of writing that I got was it started with the the boy said about his dad. Um, his well looking at the clouds with his grandpa when they flew a kite. And then he talked about how his grandpa is no longer with us. But when he looks up at the clouds, he still remembers his grandpa. It was a really nice piece. And uh, it took him back. And I think because of doing that, and then I do it with them for myself, then that that builds that community.
1: Yeah, you know it's so funny. One, that's a really good connection. Like that bit that that moment where that kid made that connection. And you're like, yes, that's what I'm talking about. But the there was a, I remember you talking about this cloud thing. As soon as you said it, I was like. <laughs> Because when we were when we were coaches, and you knew the moment you knew you. you were going back into the classroom, you started planning how hey, you're going to attack it, and you had like this, like you said, like kind of like a thematic kind of look at, at something, or like a symbolistic kind of way of, of going after some stuff. And you're like clouds. I'm going to do clouds. You talked about clouds for weeks, <laughs> trying to plan,
0: <laughs> and it worked. They did. we talking about it today,
1: but I mean, that's he, so funny. yeah,
0: yeah, no, he. Uh, now this year, nobody. It was funny because uh, we have a new. We had news, some new teachers this year, a little bit, mm-hmm. and uh, we went ahead and did. Um. Anyway, we went ahead and did. Uh, some other trigger words, you know, balloons and cloud. But I don't think we did clouds. We did marshmallows, but uh, that one's always kind of fun. Um, but anyway, yeah. No, I had a whole entire lesson on that, but I uh, not everybody bought into it. And our pe- because we were online, I couldn't like go rogue, <laughs> so I didn't get to do it. But it was, I really enjoyed it. I mean, I got a lot of good pieces out of that. But I did, I did uh, put it with a. With this song. And so, yeah. And then I and then I created this PowerPoint and showed them all different kinds of clouds and <laughs> Yeah. That's yeah. good,
1: though. But that's that's the stuff that your ability to do that is you – because you instinctively know that if you layer – like, it, it, at first, you know, it's like, oh, clouds, right? It's kind of like – it's all you know, it's a silly idea and all that. But when you start layering it in all these different ways, what you're doing is it's no – you're not really talking about clouds. What you're talking about is the generation of connections and ideas, which is, like, the foundation of everything right. we do in workshop is teaching kids how to make connections to literally anything. Like, if you can do that, you're good to go.
0: Right. And then, if you can take it and tie it to something in reading or like a song, a poem, mm. something like that, then now you, you, yeah. So well, that's.
1: Especially when you're talking about like College Board, right? Like, I don't know who I was talking to recently, but we were talking about like how, like, what College Board. Uh, dictates, you know, and kind of what they're looking for in kids, you know, going to college and whatnot, and like essays and how how that trickles down into the way his, uh, high school teachers teach and then to a little bit less degree, how middle school teachers teach and everything else. But like the idea, like one of the oh, I remember we were asking the question, like why is in high school, why is like going through the classics such a, uh, why is that still such a main thing in high school? Like, why? Like, no matter where high school you go to, you're going to see The Great Gatsby. You're going to see 1984. You're going to see Of Mice and Men. You know, you're going to see this, the the right. Scarlet Letter, the all of that. Yeah. Yeah. And n- not to say anything about those, I've talked about the canon ad nauseum, but like all of those are great. But it's like, why is it so like entrenched into the system? And to some degree. I've heard the argument of people saying, well, you know, they need to be able to reference those things because the essays, like what they're required to kind of do well in like these certain types of essays they have to write is make those connections to these to these. And they have to be able to reference them and talk about like the symbols in them and stuff like that. And they think like, well, if we don't hit on these books, they're not going to have these connections. But I would argue that if we do what you're talking about. If we're talking about – if we constantly train kids to make connections across genre, across even mm-hmm. from pictures to ideas to experiences to a song based on a cloud, and we do that over and over again at progressively deeper levels and across text and from their books to their writing to our writing to poetry to everything else, what you what you are creating is a human being that can synthesize anything so they can read a passage from of mice of men without ever reading the book and be able to extrapolate all kinds of meaning out Mm -hmm. of it. And that way, I feel like that's a, I feel like it's less of a gaming system. Then it doesn't mean don't have them read the books, but just this idea of if we're really trying to create thinkers, then just simple tasks, like what you're talking about is that's the, I think that's the foundation and ultimately what leads kids to being able to do that. And I'm going to I know I've been on a soapbox for a second, but I want to take this one step further and talk about how one of the things I do with my students so much, and they really find it annoying at first and then they, they start doing it. But (laughs) early in the year when they talk, especially if I'm talking to a kid who isn't writing, like they're stuck on something, they'll say something. I go, Oh, that's a great line. Write that down. And they're like, what? I'm like, that's a great line. So like middle school, right? Kids are angsty. They're like, Oh my God, he's ruining my life. I'm like, that's a great line. Put that down. And they're like, oh my God, Chastain. <laughs> yeah, they're like, Chastain, not everything is a line. And I'm like, yes, it is. Everything is a line. And they get so <laughs> mad, especially like, because they'll start like ranting about something. And I'm like, no, right there, that's a great line. Put that down. Right. I'm like, Chastain, I'm just trying to talk to you. I'm not trying to write. And I'm like, but what's happening though, that when I do that, the whole goal of that purpose or the whole goal of that process is to get them to realize that writing is. So much more about selecting the right things that mean something versus trying to craft something that's meaningful, if that makes sense. Does that make sense to you? That made sense in my head.
0: Well, one of the things that I think why that makes sense is it comes naturally from them. And I think when we're writing, we try, like you said, trying to craft something. And that's one of my biggest hang ups for myself is I'm busy. I'll end up erasing probably six good lines because I'm trying to find the perfect Line and I never get to any line, and I think teaching these students to recognize something that's their own that's really good, and then they start listening for it. I think uh, it comes from their own self, and I think that's what writing does. Good writing comes from yourself. Mm-hmm. I mean, even if you're writing for someone else, mm-hmm. you gotta you gotta have your own opinion. You gotta have your own thoughts. It comes from you. Um, you know it starts from the inside, but when you wanna push it further out, you have less of you in it, but you're still in there,
1: yeah, well, which is and our I, voice, yeah, and I think you know this happened to me today I was drafting um our I was drafting my book, uh not ours unfortunately that's that's on the docket <laughs> tomorrow.
0: I was making pies. (laughs)
1: Um, But no, I was putting in, you know, I was about, it was about the, I was around 1,600 words for the day, which I always try to hit 2,000 when I sit down. If I, if I cross 1,500, I consider it a success. Anything less than that, I'm depressed, but no, (laughs) (laughs) 2,000 is my goal, but I'll, I'll take anything over 1,500. So I'd already hit that. So I was feeling good and I was like, I just wrote a really good section. I, I was, I was feeling it. It flowed really nice. I was, I was, I was keeping the editor at the door. I wasn't editing anything. I was just going. And it was... It felt good. And then I reached a point where I was struggling with how to phrase the beginning of this next section. And I, it, I sent me down a rabbit hole of Googling for something. I started doubting how I was phrasing it. I changed, mm. I wrote two paragraphs and then I was like, wait, this isn't the right point of view. And I was like, wait, is it the right point of view? Do I want to say it as a personal story? Do I want to say it as a more, uh, authority figure? And so I had all of these debates and then I stopped. I was like, nope, I can't do it anymore.
0: <laughs> <So I quit. laughs> So, like, fifteen hundred and one. I'm at. That's I'm done. right.
1: <laughs> that's right. And like, because I got. What happens is, it's there's there's a flow that you can get into, and I I think the more you write, the the better the flow you or the quicker you can get into that flow state. I don't think there's a muse. I think it's more of a. It's kind of like you show up to work every day, and when you show up to work every day, there's a zone you get kicked into, even when you're tired, even when you're having a bad day. You're like, all right, now I'm at work, and then you go. I think the same thing is with creation. I think a lot of people who struggle to write or make music or whatever that they're doing creatively, they struggle to make a pie correctly. They just don't make pies enough, so it, it, there's, there's, it's harder to get into that flow state. Would you agree uh, as a pie maker yourself?
0: Oh, boy, yes. I have made more pumpkin and apple pie. Uh, but I've so not you weren't, so you
1: couldn't pie. Get, yeah, so you couldn't get into so, the flow state of pecan pie So I pie couldn't making.
0: recognize the flow. That's the problem. I didn't oh. have the right line. I was over there going, oh, my goodness, my sugar is starting to <laughs> – my mother's like, I think you're letting that get too hot. I mean, you know, I'm like, oh, my gosh. <laughs> so she was conferring
1: time, with you. She was trying to warn was, you while you were she going. She
0: was warning me. She has more experience than I do. Uh-huh. She's even made candy. I have not ever made candy. And so she understands heat, sugar and butter and I obviously need more practice. So she's in there making my pie right now. <laughs> I've got, got my mother making my pie. Well, and <laughs> I, that's such a that's such a funny She's my editor. Wait, exactly.
1: Right. I mean, that's a funny uh, piece. And to the editing comment, I mean, you saw like when I wrote Teach Me Teacher, I I show you like the the different versions I had of just the starting few paragraphs and how they evolved over time and changed according to editing remarks. You know, there was three editors on that book, including one of my friends and my wife. So I guess four or five. And then uh, that just that added all kinds of different voices, I still think the original voice was kind of like the true me, whatever that means. Uh-huh. But a lot of the times, the even if it's more honest a certain way, you still have to think about how how is this going to be interpreted by other people? And the only way to right. know that is to have other people. So once it leaves you, once whatever you're writing leaves you, it becomes someone else's. And kind of the writer's job is to be as honest as you can, but... If your honesty makes someone else misinterpret your message, then your honesty didn't matter in the first place. So you have to, you Um, almost, you know what I mean? So you almost have to craft, you have to be able to craft your message, whatever that message is in a way that is, that conveys what you're trying to say, but sometimes that isn't the original way you decided to write it or, or produce it. And I think teachers feel this. We, we do a lesson. And we're like, we want this to happen. So we go for it. And then kids get the entire opposite interpretation after we've just been <laughs> talking for 15 minutes. You're like, something went wrong. Right. Um, but that the only way to get past that, I think, and this is where I think culture comes up again, is if we create a culture where we are all struggling to make meaning, which is what I think the reading and writing workshop is. Um, then that culture, it becomes okay to misinterpret. It becomes okay to mess up in how you present something. It is not just red marks. I handed back a scribbled red mark sheet, or maybe in today's world, a marked up Google doc and send it back to you to fix. It's no, we're in this together. Hey, this doesn't, I don't think this is coming across the way you think it is. And when you create that culture, now you have a bunch of kids willing to take risks because there's no reason
0: not to. No, I think you're right. And when we become a collaborator with them, that really makes a difference. Um, there's one of the things where like when a kid will ask for a conference and I'll start conferencing with them, you made me think of this. And that was sometimes I'll say, well, it's still your decision. If you want to keep that line in there, you can keep it in there. You know, I mean, it's it's your decision. What I want you to do is I want you to know why you're keeping that line in there. Yep. You know, and if you I, want it to stand out, why don't we put it on and try it on a separate line all by itself. Try it out. If you don't like it, change it back. But, you know, to me, that's kind of how I work with the students and I let them go practice. And then when they, um, you know, and then they try it and if they don't like it, you know, like if they're, I'll make them do like two or three different leads and then they pick one that they like that works the best. Sometimes mm-hmm. their original one is what they stay with. Sometimes they add the three of them together and then they come up with something great.
1: Yeah. I I know we had right before break, I was struggling. This one student was working on this poem for like, I mean, she was working on it for like two, three weeks maybe, but she was really working on the end for like one of those weeks. Like just this last line, like it just didn't sound right. She didn't like it. I kept conferring with her and I couldn't bring anything. Like I tried, like we would talk and then she'd be like, "Ah, I kind of like that. And then she'd kind of work with it and she'd call me back. The next day and go, Chastain, it didn't work. I'm like, okay. So we'd sit down again. We would talk. And after a while, like the third time we went through this process, she goes, Chastain, why aren't you helping me? And I'm like, I'm trying. <laughs> I was that's like, so I was like, the end, the endings and, be- I mean, every word is difficult. I was like, here's the thing. I was like, I'm not, I was like, because sometimes I will offer a line. Like if I really do think of something really good, I'll be like, hey, check this line out. And they're like, oh, that's cool. And sometimes they'll keep it. Sometimes they'll change it. Or sometimes they're like, no, that doesn't work. Um, but as as a fellow writer which is what I try to convince them I am, even though I don't think we can ever fully step away from the teacher role well, necessarily. To, yeah, that's true. Um, but I think, can, I think we can change what that teacher role means. I think they see me a lot as a, just another writer that they can talk to, and there's really no right or wrong. But sometimes that's hard. Sometimes they're like, Chastain, I really just want you to tell me a great line to put here. And a lot of the times, and what I've been doing more and more lately is going, I don't know, what do you think? And then Mm -hmm. going, forcing them into that thinking because, um, like Dr. Carroll talks about, writing is the most rigorous activity that we could ever do in a classroom, and I think that uh, I I think about that all the time because it's hard. Like it's hard to find that one line that just makes your poem hit end with a punch, and it's it's really easy to write lines that are. Less, but the 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 fact that they're even asking that question and thinking so hard about one line, I mean, what more could you ask for? Like that's 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 what uh, the writing workshop is,
0: right? Well, and that's the culture that we want to, I think, sponsor uh-huh. is the kind where the kids are thinkers and they and they work through a problem. I think sometimes we allow our students to quit too early, and uh, not work through that problem. There's a fine line between pushing them to frustration and pushing them to success. And um, so I think just knowing that difference is important. Um, so you kind of, like we talked about earlier, you have to be kind of a kid watcher, kind of have to watch their reactions and stuff like that. And and drop them a help line, if you will, over once in a while. So there's nothing wrong with that. But then what I like to do too is, is to move this, if I can, beyond my classroom. And that is where I show the students that they can do this in other classes. So when you're writing that paper for, or when you're having to justify, then, you know, like justify their math, you know, then this is a nice way that you can use what you just said. This is a nice way you can formulate a paragraph when you have to write a paragraph for math and then start there. So just kind of teaching them how to extend their thinking beyond I think is very important.
1: Well, it's one of the hardest things to do in education, too, is to transfer learning. We all know mm-hmm. this. We we know this when we work on one genre in class, for instance, and you move to the next one. It's like they forget all the tools they just had in the other <laughs> yeah. genre. Um, but And so add that to a whole different class and you have a different issue. You know, last year I was working on my... Dual masters, one in curriculum, one in administrative leadership. And so I had, you know, you have to, in the state of Texas, to get your principal certification, you basically have to do a, a year long project for your campus and it has to serve whatever domain that you want to serve. And so I did curriculum because that's what I was fascinated in. And I did writing because, um, That's also what I'm obsessed with, and my principal was down to do it. So we did this huge project where we were trying to get writing to happen in every single classroom. And one of the pieces of data that we did is teachers had to send in two examples per student of their writing in their classroom for various purposes. We didn't really put a restriction on it, just examples of where you're having kids write. And so we pulled all this data And then one of the trainings I did afterwards was showing them – I showed them these pieces of how kids are responding. And I showed one in English, and it was very – it was like a reading response. It was very nice and neat, and it was like very grammatically correct. I showed a social studies one. It was all over the place. The kid clearly hated Mm -hmm. social studies. And then a math (laughs) one that was okay, but it was kind of distance. And from looking at them, I asked the teachers, I go – so which student do you think is the better writer? And, you know, they had picked and they're like, okay, this one. And I was like, what if I told you that was the same writer in different oh. classes? And they were like, no way. And I was like, yes way. And so I, <laughs> I showed them the pieces and I, uh, they were like, oh, and I was like, yes. I was like, so how my question to the whole staff was, so how do we fix this? Because they can clearly do it. And it's not your fault as a teacher in math. Like you don't – like it's not something wrong you're doing necessarily, but it's what can we do to get a student to realize that writing – good writing is good writing regardless of your purpose. You just kind of have to uh, – apply what you know and, and have that connection. And a lot of it did come down to, well, maybe they just don't like those other contents. I'm like, well, so how do we fix that? How do we make them connected to math to where they want to write well in math? And now I don't I don't know if there is an all-in solution to that, but I think having that conversation with professionals um, is enlightening. But that exercise alone was really powerful for a lot of them to see that uh, a student from that's class to class can be entirely different.
0: That's That is interesting. I mean, that's something... So did you do anything else with that? Or did you have to write it in a report or anything like that?
1: Yeah, I mean, for, for my actual administrative stuff, I had to take this data. Because what we were doing was we had just teachers have students write up until about December. A little bit before December, it was around Thanksgiving. And then based on that data, I compiled trainings on what we should incorporate across the board. So like our students struggling with... Like if they're, if they're answering prompting questions in social studies and math, what are the key differences in how they're attacking the question? Um, so that's what we did. And we basically came up with some not formulas for writing, and uh, mm-hmm. I was very clear about that, but just some strategies that teachers could do. And we ultimately – what we decided – um, at, and the ultimate answer to this problem on our campus was each department should come to their own conclusions about what it's, what does it look like to respond well as a mathematician? What does it look like to respond well as a historian uh-huh. or a scientist? And that way it took less, that way I didn't have control over it. Cause even though it was my idea and I was kind of presenting it to the staff, what it was better, it was like, here's the difference, right? English is gonna have the stronger one because we live in that world of reading response and writing responses and everything else, right? Mm-hmm. But what does that look like in math? As a math teacher, if a student could respond in an ideal way, what does that look like? And what that got them doing was modeling how to do that. Because what we did, what we showed along with this was I showed the research of why writing your thoughts down connects to deeper learning. And I used a lot of Donald Graves research and I used... um, Uh, I used Hattie's research. I used a lot of stuff from Axe and stuff like that that they kind of pull in. Um, Mm -hmm. And from Abydos, a lot of their research just about kind of that reading, writing connection and how that applies across – Content areas. So they once I got them there, a lot of teachers were willing to try it out, and I had a like math teachers come between. They're like, "Yeah, I really feel like my kids got this content just because we wrote about it rather than just practicing arithmetic all the time." I'm like, "Good." I was like, "You don't need to write novels in math class. Just writing and no. going through that process, it will deepen their learning. Just even if it's just a processing thing." Um, and what they found is it was true. Like we saw a general rise, and then COVID hit, and it all ended, and the world collapsed. So, but. <laughs>
0: before right that, well you know that's that has happened in all of us but uh i like that i think that's fascinating i do know that um i, I shared this with you i'll go ahead you made me think of the time when uh, there was an elementary in another district that had asked me the principal had heard about me and some of her teachers had taken my training uh, in the summer which was an abydos uh training and they asked me to come and consult with them And in four different separate consultation um, trainings, if you will, for her whole school. And we did all of the subjects. We did all, you know, of course, in elementary, they teach more than one subject, but she would have, she had made all of the teachers meet with me. Mm -hmm. And at the beginning, it was all of them grades, um, I think it was a K through five, grade level five school. Uh, kind of like the same setup that we have in our district. But anyway, so I met with all the teachers. The second time, she she didn't have me meet with the kindergarten uh, first grade teachers, but I met with the... I think it was with the third grade, all the people that were going to be tested as far as for for writing and anything like that. But anyway, I met with them several times and we talked about that and we they would bring the work that their students did and we would study it. And I didn't do it exactly. I like what you did. I didn't do it exactly like that. But I think I shared this with you one time. Um, it was like, this is on our, my last visit and I asked them to bring you know, some some of their work that the kids had done and we wanted to talk to them about it and where we needed to go next. Well, anyway, this one teacher was like, oh my gosh, before you begin, I want you to know that you changed the entire culture of our school because you trained all of us, but you trained us on how to recognize when kids are writing and how to, like you said, strategies to help them get that, their thoughts down. And they worked all the way through, and so when the end was over, the the principal at the end was like, "That was our that's our negative Nancy. That's the person that was never happy about anything we ever do." So I mean, you did something. Well, sure enough, um, they ended up becoming having distinction, and they moved up, and they got distinction for our, you know, for those of y'all in Texas, we have, we did. I don't know what we're doing this next year, but we were at where you had to have like six distinctions or seven distinctions to have a perfect score kind of thing and at writing and social studies and reading. And so anyway, but they had gotten distinctions in where they hadn't had them before uh, for that year. So I thought that was pretty cool. But I think, I think training the teachers is important, but like what you did, letting them see the kids writing like that. I love that, that you took that one student and showed their response and how it was different, and then had them uh, work as, you know, what does a mathematician's writing look like? What does a historian's writing look like? And then you had them model the study in which they were actually learning in. So I think that mm. was, I, I liked I liked what you did there.
1: Well, I appreciate that. I think a lot of that came from, <clears throat> well, honestly, the most informative thing I got out of that was I read I read so many pieces because this is every kid having two pieces. And I knew that if I was gonna have teachers, because teachers had to turn these in, right? This these are physical pieces of paper. And I knew they were already, it was kind of a it was to a little bit a compliance thing, right? Because it was like a hey, we want to do this. We're like conducting this research, and they're like, Okay, we'll do it or whatever. So it wasn't they, you know, it wasn't like something they were all super happy to do. So I right. knew I had to read every single piece of writing, otherwise, um, I I ruined the effort that they did. And I know what it's like when people ask me to do something and then someone doesn't look at it. So I was like, I took the time and I took notes and uh, my principal did it with me. I wasn't alone, but it was just her and I. And we went through and we read them and we took notes separately. And then we came together and talked about what we observed about student writing. And that was the main thing we observed was that stuff isn't transferring across content levels. Um, And having that and reading so much of that writing, one, it, it was just super informative. I think I don't think any teacher ever needs. This is going to be bad for our book sales one day, but I really don't think any teacher needs a book on how to teach writing. You just need to talk to writers, read writers' writing, and then write yourself. Like those are like right. the three things you need to do, and just do it over and over again because you get, you'll get better. But more importantly, you you'll know how to not destroy the culture um, of your class because the worst thing you can do. So I okay. This is, this is probably a good thing to kind of do a capstone on this is how to not to ruin culture. So there's an author I love. His name is, Pat, his name is Patrick Rothfuss. Uh-huh. He wrote The Name of the Wind. It's my favorite book of all time. It's a trilogy and he refuses to write the third one. It's very sad. But
0: Oh, yes. Um, I remember our conversation about uh-huh.
1: it. Very angry when I talk about it. But he's he's a fantastic guy. <laughs> he doesn't know us anything. But he's he's fantastic. And he's I think he's one of the best writers. But he was talking about how ever since he became a published writer, Other people, like friends or whatever, will ask him for feedback on writing. And what he learned to do was ask, What do they mean by feedback? Because you can't, if you approach every piece as if you are the judge and jury of something, um, you're going to ruin the culture of a writing classroom really fast. If every time a kid hands you something only to be told what they're doing wrong, And if that's, whether that's set up just by you handing out assignments and them turning them in, whether that's just because that's all you know how to talk about when you sit down with a kid and confer with them, you just want to tell them where their commas are missing. Um, There's a couple ways to do that badly. And he was like, I don't want, he was like, if someone just wants me to encourage them, I need to know that. And I need to ask them honestly, like, do you want me to tell you what I think? Or do you want me to encourage you? Because a lot of times people, when they're wanting feedback, they just want Encouragement, right? Like I have uh my friends are a really good example of this. I always like get into like these times where like I'm gonna work out and they're like, No, you're not. And I'm like, Can't you just encourage me? But that's uh <laughs> but like that that whole idea of we have to reevaluate our purpose when we are sitting with And uh, honestly, I think that evaluative piece needs to get pushed as far to the end as humanly possible. I think it has to be there eventually, um, at least to some degree. Uh, But I think overall, uh, to build positive culture, we have to – kids have to be comfortable showing you writing, being honest in their writing, feeling empowered to write about the stuff that matters to them. And if we can do those things, um, I think we have the culture that we
0: want. Yeah, I think you're right. The um uh, I I think you're right. I mean, I like to start out with positive feedback where they're actually sharing with each other and they're sharing about what works in that piece. Mm-hmm. And you can also take that in in their reading, ask them what's working in the reading that they're doing. And then you move on, but you you gradually get them to that critique side. Uh, But I don't usually get to the critique until closer to Christmas, I guess, or maybe in January, where we get a little more critical. Yeah, it takes time. It takes time,
1: yeah. Yeah. I mean, how long would you say, like, to kind of close this out, if someone's really thinking about, like, building this culture and they might feel like, okay, I've been positive for, like, several months now. We got things to do. We got to move on. Like, how, how long would you take it really does to get kids comfortable with with just writing and sharing and taking risk?
0: Well, I think, um, I think you can get them to start sharing and taking risk within the first six weeks. Mm-hmm. Okay, but you have to start with nothing negative allowed, and everything has to be positive. And you only concentrate on what works and why it works. What works and why it works. And you look at that in other people's writing, and you look at that in each other's writing, and you look at that in your own writing. Why did this work? And you can focus on different elements, Okay, so you can break that down and say, okay, in your uh, introduction, why does this introduction work versus maybe, you know, you don't even have to do verses. just why does it work? And then the next thing, uh, the next six weeks, because we're in six weeks, so I kind of think of a six weeks thing, but within the the next 12 weeks, now you can talk about maybe comparing what doesn't work. And I like to do that with sensory language, you take out all of the the good verbs, and you take out all the, um, you know, the the sensory words, that figurative language, and you just have the bare facts, so it's almost like see, spot, run, you know, and it's real choppy, and you, you show them a bad example, not but briefly, and say, what's missing? And look at your writing, do you have any of these sentences that need And so I think you can work at it that way. So I think, um, but when they're truly critical. When when I mean critical, where they can actually, you know, I need to just strip out this whole entire sentence. This isn't Mm -hmm. working at all. I need Mm -hmm. to, I mean, when you're really, well, kind of what I saw them doing to you when you're talking about you had three editors on it. I mean, when they were sending it back going, nope, scrap this whole entire two pages. Let's do it this way. I mean, you know, when that kind of stuff, I think you're looking at with a student as young as they are, uh, seventh graders, I think you're looking at. Uh, at least 18 weeks before yeah, you can it takes, even start doing that
1: because it takes confidence to be able to take that right like cuz what yeah. especially if you're getting to the point where like you like something like there's I have whole chapters of teach me teacher that never made it into the book um mm-hmm at least some of them in their entirety. Like I, I just moved them out because of a variety of reasons. Um, and some of them I salvaged a little bit. Like I remember I had one chapter on, it was basically, uh, how I started becoming a better reading teacher it was like one of the defining moments, like later in the book and the chapter was just too long. And my wife, after reading it like three times through, she was like, this is a really long chapter. I'm like it has to be logged. And then like <laughs> after going through it, I ended up cutting out, um, just in that chapter. I mean, that chapter was probably 25 pages maybe, which is fairly long for just the length of that book where every chapter mm-hmm. was closer to six or 10 pages. Um, mm-hmm. So chopping it up was, it was hard, but it was also like, I was, at the, I was at the point to where we were talking about, does this serve me or does it serve the book? And I think that is a unique level that we can get kids to, but it takes volume, it takes practice, and it takes knowing that, yeah, you can cut a paragraph or a line or a word. You can cut a lot. But that does not—that doesn't diminish anything about it. Cutting empowers a piece, and that's—that's that's a really hard lesson to learn unless you've written yeah. a whole lot.
0: Well, that's true because they're married to every line that they've ever written. <laughs> yeah, most <laughs> because people they're are so hard to write. Yeah. I am too, but they're hard to write. They're hard to come up with, and uh, to come up—you know—to even admit that something could be better than it already is is pretty mm-hmm. difficult to do. Yep. Um, And sometimes you just have to start over and that is depressing. That's the hard part. (laughs) (laughs) But anyway, talking about deep depression, I got to start over. I got to redo a whole entire pecan pie. But anyway, so uh, speaking of starting over, but no, I think it, I think that's true. Another thought that came to my mind and sometimes instead of just saying, cut it, one of the reasons why I like the craft and draft or, you know, the way we're, we're doing that. And in the draft book where they have it's, it's in there, it's pretty much permanent and it's only changed once they take it out of there and start typing it up, but they still mm-hmm. have those pieces. Yep. And I'd like to tell students, don't throw anything away because that might be something else somewhere else.
1: Yeah. Oh and, my God. I fight kids on, they'll tear out pages and I'm like, stop. No, ah! leave it. <laughs> Right. I was like, that could be, that's gold. Just because you wrote it and you hate it today doesn't mean anything
0: right and i think i was listening to uh, will hobbs and he has a whole file cabinet he says that he his his notebook is a file cabinet and he goes through and he looks for things and he just like like what you're talking about this is a great line this is a great article and he looks and he does all this and then periodically he he shifts goes through all of his you know he has everything categorized and then he'll, he'll with topics for example um When they found, he talked about when they found bacteria in ice that they felt like was from Mars years ago. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's it's an it's old. It's from the 80s when you know when all that stuff was kind of big. I think it was from the 80s, but anyway, he he found that article and he put it in his little file. Not going to get to it now, but that looks like something I could do later. And so, sure enough, later on, he wrote a book. And in that book, his characters find this bacteria anyway, and it becomes a crisis. And you know, all that I'd have to read. It's been so long since I've read that, but he was, he didn't know that that was going to be an idea. And then he's looking through things, and all of a sudden, this idea married with this idea, and he had a new idea, so that's you just really never know that's yeah. that's what that's what we're trying to keep teach students is to keep keep those ideas you know you never know what they might turn into later on well,
1: to go one i have my journal is really my google docs, and I have. I mean, I just have pages and pages. I have seven novels on there that I've written, plus a million false starts and everything else. But the beginning of Teacher and Teacher, that core first chapter of that book, I wrote without any inclination that I was going to write a teacher book. I just okay. wrote it. I was like, I was, I, I don't know, I was going down memory lane and I saw the image and I was like, I have to write this. Like, This needs to get out. And then I, it sat there for months. And then I was like, you know what? I think I, think I could tell a teacher book through some of these stories that I have. And that that was the That was the, the, the origin story of that. And, you know, luckily uh, you know, Dave and Shelley Burgess thought it was worthy of publishing, but that was, that was all just because I had an idea and I wrote it down and then it sat for a long time. And I was like, Oh, I think I can tell stories with teaching and boom, you have teach me teacher, like a wild little combo of stuff, but we're going to end it here. Miss Ochoa, I hope you enjoyed this conversation as much as I did. Cause I know you have a pecan pie to get to. You have a pecan crisis that you have to go.
0: I know I had a solve. sugar crisis. <laughs> but my sugar started hardening up like rocks. I was creating rock candy.
1: That's right. But I need everyone, if you enjoyed this conversation, all about an hour of it, I need you to hit that star button in your podcast app. That helps us out a lot. Leave a review for the podcast, especially if you've been listening for a little while. Shout out. I know we had someone reach out and say they were wanting um, the, like, to kind of get it, the inside scoop of the craft and draft process. We're working on something. We're going to work on something for you guys because you know we're working on the book, obviously, but I think we also want to have some you guys take advantage of the craft and draft system to kind of explore it on your own and, and, uh, take a look at that, but that's in the works. So now that we're having that conversation, but you know, everything's slowed down by COVID, our planning slowed down, the podcast recording is slowed down, everything else. So we're trying not to overwork ourselves this break, but guaranteed we are thinking about all of these things. So ladies and gentlemen, just know that we are here
0: for you.